Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Marcus Startzel. He's the CEO of Whitebox. Whitebox is powering the D2C economy by providing an entire e-commerce operation in a single package. They combine all functions of the e-commerce process into one service, making it easy for a manufacturer or a brand to sell on a global level and shrink their overhead. Now, they just closed a $5 million Series A round led by TDF Ventures. And on to the show today, Marcus and I talk about the D2C economy trends, some examples from his client base, as well as uh, who's doing it well and both big companies as well as uh, digital native companies, so to speak. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and a behind the scenes look at D2C and what makes it move with Marcus. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great, uh, great to be here. Thanks, Alan. Let's start by talking about your career path. Where'd you start your career? And maybe we can talk about some twists and turns along the way. Yeah, for sure. It feels like a long time ago, as a couple weekends from now, I celebrate my 25th reunion from graduating from the Naval Academy. But I started my career as a submarine officer underneath the water, 
nuclear power in a ballistic missile submarine. And I can't think of anything that's further away from my current job today. But I spent five years in the Navy as a submarine officer. After separating from the Navy, went to work uh, for an IT technology firm, working for Ross Perot down in Texas. And uh, after a few years of that, I realized I really wanted to get back up to the northeast of the U.S., where I'm from, Pennsylvania, Maryland area, and uh, moved back up to Annapolis, Maryland, and uh, started working at a company called Advertising.com. It was my first venture-backed startup experience uh, in the ad tech space, and it was a great success, and it sort of just sent me down a path from Advertising.com to Millennial Media to Media Glue and FNexus, and then today here white box. So definitely been a lot of excitement along the way and started from probably a non-traditional spot most people start their careers from. I've always wondered about, well, one, it's impressive anyone that comes through the Naval Academy or any of the military academies for that matter. It's quite a selective process. But submarine officer, you have to tell me something about that because I have this envision in my head, it takes a special kind of human being to be stuck on a metal tube deep below the ocean with a bunch of other people in really close quarters. Is that true? Do you <laughs> do you need a certain personality to be able to survive that? I don't know if you need a certain personality, but there are certainly things about living on board a submarine on a day-to-day basis that for long times underwater, you definitely need to be comfortable with. Certainly the close quarters, the change in atmosphere, the just not seeing the sun or getting a fresh breath of real air for weeks at a time is definitely something to deal with. But I think from my experience in the submarines, I learned so much there. I'm a study of leadership. I'm an engineer really at heart. And it was a incredible experience for me as a 23 or four year old young ensign in the Navy to be driving a $2 billion submarine through the Pacific Ocean with so 120 odd crew members counting on me to make the right decisions. You know, very great deal of responsibility at a young age. And I think that was a great experience for me. On the flip side, the submarine lifestyle or the submarine crew, it's a very close-knit experience. Like you're literally in a hostile environment surrounded by water, hundreds of feet below the surface. And everyone from the captain to the lowest recruit uh, really, quite frankly, can save your life. And we count on each other that way. And I think from the earliest days of my career, Although it was very hierarchical, very much driven by chain of command, there was a camaraderie and an understanding that we are all part of this bigger system. And uh, it was a really, quite frankly, a great career foundation when I transitioned over into the civilian world. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the business world and the civilian world. I mean, so I, I should say, one, congrats on being named CEO of White Box earlier this year and the recent $5 million Series A raise. So maybe one, congrats, and two, maybe can you describe what White Box is for listeners? Yeah, for sure. First, thank you uh, very much. I'm very excited to be here at White Box. It's just an amazing team trying to do amazing things, and that's the recipe for success. But in its most simple form, White Box is an e-commerce technology sales and logistics platform. Very plainly spoken, we help our clients sell stuff and move stuff as they engage with uh, consumers. And To our customers, it feels very much like an outsource of their e-commerce operations. We like to use the tagline, from factory floor to front door, meaning that brands can create amazing products. We can help them sell them 
on all the different marketplaces and on their branded site. We can handle all of their fulfillment. So it's really a all-encompassing service that I think is well-built for the challenges that brands face today in commerce. Right. Well, and it's a, it's a timely solution with given the D2C rise, right? The pretty much anyone with a fantastic idea for a product need to figure out how to get it from the factory to people's front doors. So tell me if you wouldn't mind, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to that process, right? There's a big ecosystem of potential providers, not to mention there's factories, there's the logistics, the transportation solutions, you know, marketing agencies. What role, I guess, does Whitebox play in all of that? How do you operate in the ecosystem? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think if you zoom out and really look at what's happened over the past five to 10 years, just in consumer behavior, the world of e-commerce has changed the way people act, and it has given so much choice to the consumer. If you're a consumer and you want a bottle of ketchup, you could go to the grocery store. You could order it online. You could order it through Instacart. You can order two bottles. You can order a variety pack to get it with ketchup, mustard, relish, mayonnaise. The choices are endless, quite frankly. And what that does is places a lot of strain on the actual brands that have to have the ability to service all of those different demand channels. It's not like it was 75 or 50 years ago where a good brand, whether it was a portfolio of brands like a major CPG or a D2C brand, which only had one product, I guess 75 years ago, the concept of D2C was probably much different. But really, all you had to do was get pallets to your distributor and your distributor would take care of everything else. There was no internet. There was no direct-to-consumer in that way. And quite frankly, the world has changed. E-commerce has changed everything. But if you look at the supply chain and many, many customers and the business models set up to support those supply chains, it's uh, very, very much still operating on old warehouse management procedures, processes, and systems. And the days of being able to think about your supply chain and your marketing strategy differently or separately, I think are over with modern commerce. And I think that's the role Whitebox fundamentally plays is to take all of the promise of e-commerce that's already been delivered to consumers and create modern commerce solutions for our brands, both consumer packaged goods, large brands, and direct-to-consumer brands. Got it. Got it. And well, so it is a complicated world. What do you feel like are the big trends or, or things that are facing, I guess, D2C marketers? And then, then maybe we can talk about CPG too, the traditional guys. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think the biggest trend that's facing both of those classes of brands are the changing nature of the marketplaces, both the power of Amazon as well as the growth of marketplaces outside of that. If you look at the space today, about 62% of all e-commerce sales that happen in the US happens on Amazon. Now, 40% of that or 42% of that actually happen in the Amazon marketplace. And that's it's a distinction which most consumers probably don't pick up. Many brands don't fully understand, but you can really interact with Amazon in two different ways. You can either sell stuff on Amazon or you can sell stuff to Amazon. And so the marketplace business where third-party sellers like Whitebox are selling on Amazon, have full price control, likely can make better margins on their products, etc. Whereas if you sell to Amazon, you're really selling to Amazon, the retailer, 
Amazon pays you a wholesale price. They mark it up. They take all the profit. Both models are extraordinarily successful, which is why Amazon has grown very well, but they're very different. And then outside of Amazon, that's 62%. Another growing trend, which I think is going to essentially bring on the the new dawn of e-commerce is companies like Shopify, where they have all sorts of tools available for direct-to-consumer or large brands to set up direct-to-consumer.com sales engines, which you know, is amazing. That's almost Shopify is 10% of the e-commerce market. And then let's not forget Walmart, who's 4% and Target and these other folks who really have incredible assets to be able to bring to bear. So I think when you think of the key macro trends, still, although Amazon is very powerful and 62% of sales happen there, everyone is really thinking about which marketplaces are going to steal away from that Amazon share while e-commerce is growing greatly year over year anyway. And then what are the new marketplaces that aren't even launched yet? How does Facebook grow its existing marketplace? And does it become a larger e-commerce? How does eBay react as they really are more of a retailer than they are of a you know, multiple seller environment. So I think that's the, the big trend that everyone is you know, grappling with. And again, it just places a huge amount of stress on the fulfillment side of the business for these brands. And so I think both your direct-to-consumer brands who are just trying to get awareness and your consumer packaged goods and large brands who already have awareness but don't really know how to communicate with the consumer directly are struggling with. No, that's a great point. You always hear about everyone talk about Amazon, but the fact that like you described, there's two ways to do business with Amazon. People don't talk about that enough. (laughs) One is within your domain. It's almost like another outlet for yourself. It's your booth at the mall, so to speak, to use an old analogy. But the other one is, you know, treating them more like a, like a Walmart in essence, an online Walmart. So that's fantastic. In your mind, what does it take to stand up a D2C brand today? I think, you know, when I look at the customers that we work with that we think of as like born direct to consumer brands, the bottom line is a great product. You've got to have a great product. Great products shine. You could have great marketing that sells an average product. But when you're talking about standing up a direct-to-consumer brand today and taking it to market, it's got to start with a great product that answers some consumer demand. Then awareness is really important. If you're launching a new brand that no one knows about and you don't have a celebrity endorser or you don't have a, a Kardashian or someone like that posting on Instagram on your behalf, then you've got to have some sort of awareness campaign. And we see a lot of our direct consumer brands turning to Instagram and Facebook and social as a way to create that awareness. So I think you need to have sort of those two steps. And then once you start to get sales in, it really is all about reviews and strong partners, getting your customers to review your product really helps you climb on the ladder at Amazon or quite frankly any any marketplace. And you know, we as consumers now are conditioned when we see a new product that we think we like, well, what are other people saying about it? Are the reviews good? How does that look? And then once you sort of get past that early stage, then it is really about your partners. And if you've got a great product and you've done a good job making people aware of it, you know, chances are you're not an e-commerce expert. You don't know how to optimize a keyword campaign. You're not experts at creating listings and all the things necessary to succeed in marketplaces. And you're probably also not experts in logistics with great shipping rates, with the 
understanding how to send stuff into Amazon, you know, without getting a bunch of charges. So there's, I think of it that way, great product awareness, and then reviews and partners. And then some of the really successful brands we've seen working hard to get on Shark Tank, getting influence, pick up their brand. We had uh, one customer who sells uh, golf balls and, you know, had a unexpected shout out from an influencer that sent their sales through the roof in a day and a half. So it's really a crazy market out there. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And just picking up on one of the, one of the many things you talked about there, but the listings in and of themselves, I mean, it's like a whole new SEO environment, just getting that right and knowing. It, re- it really is. It really is. <laughs> I've heard stories from many folks that have tried to get it right on their own and then turned to an expert to help. But um, let's keep talking about marketplaces a little bit. Amazon's a big player, but a lot of D2C brands, I think, initially start with their their own Shopify site or their own mini e-commerce site. So what are, I guess, beyond the obvious, of course, of reaching more people, but are there other advantages of brands selling through Amazon, you know, Walmart, Target, Etsy versus their just staying on their own site? For sure. My first caveat would be there's certain brands that, want to cultivate how their brand, their products, and the consumers they go after. And for them, there may be reasons why Amazon is or is not a fit for them. There may be a reason why Walmart is or is not a fit for them. A good example of that is if you're selling a luxury product, there is a really good chance you don't want to have anything to do with Amazon for two reasons. One, it is a world of counterfeit. And I think if you're selling a Louis Vuitton purse, you probably want to make sure if someone buys it on Amazon, they get the real thing. And that's sometimes hard to control. And Amazon's fighting that and they're doing a great job. But in general, that's a good example where luxury brands typically won't sell on Amazon for that reason. And the other reason is really controlling consumer experience. If as a direct-to-consumer product brand, you're very conscious about how the customer receives your product. For example, if you'd rather have your own branded box for the bag of uh, chips that you're sending versus it showing up in Amazon box with a smile on the side, if that's really important to you, people probably will choose not to sell to Amazon. They could still sell on Amazon and have folks like Whitebox ship it prime and then control the experience. But that's another reason why some brands wouldn't go to those marketplaces. But it really comes down to exactly what you said, which is eyeballs and volume. Amazon has 62% of sales. Consumers are now searching on Amazon for certain things more than they search on Google. And what that means is if you choose not to be on Amazon, you're choosing not to have access to that incredible sales channel. And so I think we do see a lot of people choose not to do that but also choose to do that and, as you said, also have a Shopify site. The advantage that we help, we do a lot of uh, Shopify, I'll call it consulting on shipping options with our customers where we have an understanding through just across all of our business base, you know, how consumers think about shipping, what they would pay for shipping, the types of ways to incentivize using free shippings to incentivize more purchases on their Shopify sites. And what we find is obviously you can control the experience. You can probably make better margin by selling it yourself. And if you've got a partner like Whitebox, as an example, we can get it out to the consumer just as easily and inexpensively and quickly as you can had you sold it to Amazon. So it really creates a lot of flexibility in the brand has to actually 
push more Shopify. I think it's a big challenge. Probably every direct consumer brand has faced when they're trying an advertising campaign and they have to decide, do I send them to buy on Amazon or do I send them to buy on my Shopify.com site? And it's not, you would think, well, have them buy on Shopify, then Amazon doesn't get a cut. But it's not that simple because then you have to think about how am I actually going to get this product to the consumer? And do I have enough inventory for me to fulfill via Shopify? Do I have the two-day or one-day shipping options on Shopify because my third-party logistics company can support that or it's too costly to the, for the consumer? Or would I rather push it to Amazon because I know I've got a bunch of inventory in Amazon and it's going to cost me a little more, but I'll be able to support it if it really takes off. So there's a lot of balances you've got between Shopify or Amazon. And I think it really just comes out like how the brand has launched and if they're already available in stores. Going to Amazon is probably a pretty easy step since sort of used to that wholesale model. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm, I'm envisioning, frankly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I don't know if you you use this in your sales pitch, but this is a freebie if you like it. Uh, uh, thank you. I'm right. I'm taking notes. <laughs> it's like a strategic option, right? To pick a partner like White Box, right? Because you can you essentially have all of these various channels available to you. And, you know, as things shift, the landscape shifts, you can shift your approach and shift your strategy. And you guys have it sounds like figured out the minutia. So it's not this huge learning curve. So it truly is like a variable cost strategic option for somebody. It really is. And I think just to go back to one of the earlier questions you asked about the role we play and the different solutions in the ecosystem, one of the huge advantages our customers benefit from, because we're not just an e-commerce logistics company and because we're not just an e-commerce ad agency, we do both sides of that. Once we start working with a customer and their products are in our warehouse, we have so much flexibility to help them with demand. So just to make the numbers easy, if we had 100 units and they were selling on Amazon, on Shopify, on Walmart, and drop shipping to, let's say, a retailer, we could utilize the inventory that we have available both here in our warehouse and we've got an Amazon to basically optimize and make sure that they're always live and never miss a sale. Like the ability to fulfill a prime order out of our fulfillment centers or let Amazon fulfill it based on what's best for the client from a cost perspective, but keeps the end consumer getting it at the same time is super valuable. That's a huge 
powerful, powerful thing to have in your toolkit. Well, a couple more questions on D2C. If you're thinking about independent D2C brands, there's tons of them out there. It seems like more and more every day. How do you think they should maintain their competitive edge, if you will? I mean, there's a lot of threats like copycats we talked about a little bit earlier in the luxury market, but I'm sure there's other things too. Yeah, I do think it comes back to having a great product. And, you know, we had a, one of our clients visiting us the other day and, you know, they make uh, gluten-free flour and they have a phenomenal product. It is painstakingly researched, great ingredients, and they've been doing it probably longer than anyone. And in the natural foods market, gluten-free and otherwise, there's been so many new brands that have popped up. And I think having a great product is where it starts because you create that following around people who want to come back to your product, even if they trial other potentially lower cost items. And I think to remain competitive, you still have to be able to get your products, regardless of the category, to your customer at a fair price where even a lesser product at a lower price doesn't replace that buying habit. And so I think controlling costs and capturing opportunities is probably... I think how you remain competitive and capturing opportunities is offering different shipping item, items, engaging with consumers. Uh, my gosh, reviews are so important, so, so important to get the rankings and also to make other consumers feel comfortable. And so I think keeping the product great, watching the cost and looking for opportunities and sales channels, whether it's through partners or their own investigation is probably how it takes to remain competitive. It's a very fast changing space out there with point solutions in almost every element of the value chain and just continuing to challenge is the setup I have today the best setup for me to grow. Yeah. Maybe we can move to a couple examples if you're game. Are there any large brands, you know, like big companies, maybe not native D2C brands that you feel like are doing playing the D2C game well today? I do think there are a few. It also, quite frankly, depends on how you define direct to consumer and what that really means. And if you're talking about marketing and data, people like Procter & Gamble, I think, are taking very, very big steps in figuring out how do I get understand more about my consumer? How do I use that data to better advertise? And how do I ultimately get those products in the hands of consumers utilizing this newfound data capability? But however, I I don't know that I know of a big brand like Procter & Gamble who really knows how to get that bar of ivory soap in the hand of the consumer, bar of soap at a time. Most big brands I see are using agencies that you spoke about who have expertise in SEO to also help on Amazon. And I think it, it gets them there. But again, it's just marketing for them against a wholesale channel where they've likely sold to Amazon. McCormick, who's a spice company that we you know, we work with, they have what they call sellable moments where they're working with customers who are experienced. And, and like if you're, uh, if you're baking or cooking, I wouldn't call it a personal relationship with the spices, but really it's a very powerful, you have a different relationship with spices than you do with your bar of soap, as an example. And I think they're really thinking about how their consumers experience that and trying to build that into their day-to-day operations. But I think Wayfair, who's a marketplace, is an incredible example of someone who's doing it well on the marketing and the data side. And I actually think it's going to sound kind of crazy, but the automotive companies are, I think, getting a lot better at marketing directly to the consumer rather than just hoping their Super Bowl commercials sell their pickup trucks. Oh, that's great. That's great. What about 
kind of digital native brands that are executing D2C well? Any come to mind? Yeah, for sure. Certainly the food subscription, the birch boxes, those are the ones that pop to mind quickly. And they're really getting sampling and, and product trials going inside of their subscription. But I think the couple clients I would highlight, so Kitu Super Coffee. Uh, have you ever heard of Super Coffee? No. It's the number one selling bottled coffee in the US. So Super Coffee is it's a true direct-to-consumer brand launched by a set of brothers in their dorm room. It's a mixture of some incredible protein, MCT oil. It's a phenomenal product. I drink it every day. But why I think they're a success story is they hustled and made an incredible product. They got themselves on Shark Tank and really understood what their consumers were saying about the product, driving good reviews. And you know they are one of those brands that you talk about that is on Amazon, on Shopify, looking for every outlet to consumers. They're in so many grocery stores now, and it's been an incredible, at least from my vantage point, uh, an incredible success story. And I think that's one that I would really comment as I see really successful. And of course, there's probably a thousand others that I'm not mentioning, but I think that's one that really, really jumps out. I'm going to have to check out the super coffee for sure, especially getting that kickstart to your morning with a little protein and I'm assuming caffeine in the coffee would be great. Yeah. And they're just releasing for the first time this fall, a uh, maple pumpkin version. They've got hazelnut and mocha and and vanilla, but yeah, it's 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 well timed. Uh, yeah, of course, of course, the pumpkin spice everything is coming as we speak. Well, um, switching gears a little bit, I love to get to know the person as well, and, and we've talked a little bit about your your Navy background. But one of the questions I love asking is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I think a lot of who I am today certainly comes from my family and. Even from a young age, I, you know, I think I had a father who really taught me the meaning of persistence and not quitting. And I, hey, Marcus, you're a great pitcher. Don't give up pitching because you're having a rough spot. Work through it. Get your control back. As soon as you can paint the corners again, then if you don't want to pitch anymore, quit. But don't quit because you think you can't do it. My mom, who I think really taught me empathy, and ultimately my, you know, my wife and kids who keep me focused on my priorities and are really, quite frankly, what I think of as, you know, my priority. But you know, I think one thing I would say for sure is my experience at the Naval Academy. You think back to being a college-aged kid and going to a, a military academy. A lot, a lot of people get that experience, but you're really put in a place with a really amazing set of people, very smart folks, very athletic, and all leaders in their own right. And you know, I think the key thing that I learned at the Naval Academy was like last year there, I was essentially chosen as company commander, and I am now uh, responsible for folks that I had spent four years with. And it was an incredible learning experience for me to lead to lead a group of peers, ultimately, who I'd become great friends with over the times and, and trials that we had at the Naval Academy. And it's not the type of role you can go into and be a dictator or direct. It's really helped me hone my leadership experience of like bringing people along with me rather than dictating how things should happen. And I think the other thing that I took away, and everyone who's ever worked for me who is listening to this will know what I'm about to say, but my motto is ship, shipmate self. And I learned that at the Naval Academy. And what it truly means is every decision I make, no matter what role I'm in, is what 
is the best thing for the ship or the company. And it's only after that do I then, then think of how it affects my shipmates, my peers, the people that work for me, other folks inside the company, and then certainly last, how it benefits me. And I think that's been a decision-making priority for me for my entire career. And yeah, I think that's a that was a really big learning for me. And then, you know, certainly a lot of engineering experience on board that submarine and, and leadership opportunities that I just think shape the, the person I am today. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I feel like every young person should have that opportunity where they are then responsible for leading their peers. Because to your point, it's a life-changing moment. I didn't do it in a, in a setting like the Naval, Naval Academy, but it sounds maybe a little cheeky on the heels of your experience. But in Boy Scouts, a very similar thing happens where you're, you're hanging out with your buds and then the next thing you know, you get tapped on the shoulder to be the patrol leader, right? And to your point, you're young and you're having fun with these people and now now you need them to do what you want them to do. And it's not as easy as it sounds because <laughs> you've got to lead with all the extra things that you didn't even know you could do. Yeah. And one specific example, I remember uh, when I was company commander and my company officer came to me, who was a you know Marine, uh, just gotten back from Iraq. And he was like, I think we need to take everybody for a run. Let's take the whole company for a run. I'm like, that's awesome. If you're looking over the schedule over the next couple of days here, there really isn't any time to do it. And he was like, how about 5.30 tomorrow morning? I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's technically open. Uh, we're not supposed to work out before then. He's like, what are they going to do? Send me back to the desert? Let's go running. And like having to explain to all my friends and uh, get everybody behind that decision was uh, was certainly one of those challenges. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, wake up and we're going to run you to death tomorrow. So, yeah. Well, good. What advice would you give your younger self if you were starting your career over again? Oh, I think my advice to myself would have been just be more confident in your talents. You can do much more than you think. My career, I've had the opportunity to do step up jobs and take on roles that I didn't have the experience for or didn't think that I could do. And it worked out just great. And they were some of the best times in my career going from just a, a salesperson to running sales for Millennial Media and then running the North American business for Millennial Media up and through the IPO. I wouldn't have thought that that was something that I could do. But I would go back to younger Marcus, who I think was probably a bit too cautious and tell him to take more risks. That being said, current day Marcus is fortunate, has a great set of friends and family. And maybe if I had taken risks earlier, I wouldn't have got to where I was today. So at the end of the day, I think I would just say, be a little bit more confident in your talents. Got it. Well, what fuels you? What keeps you going day to day? Oh, man, I want to win with the team. And every day I walk into this white box office and I see the opportunity in front of us. E-commerce is growing amazing. Direct-to-consumer brands are launching every day. We've got this incredible technology product. And you know, just having the opportunity to work with this amazing group of people, they're very challenging, super smart, innovative. You know, just something about the opportunity to build a great company out of this small kernel of a great idea is what fueled me, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis. Personally, I just, I want to have an impact. I want to have an impact in people's lives. I want to have an impact in the company. I want to have an impact in the industry and in the community here in, in Baltimore as well. And so I think personally, I'm, I want to get up in every day. I think we all want to get up every day and know that what we do is being impactful and helping people's lives or 
changing people's lives or creating opportunities or experiences that didn't exist before. But when it really comes down to it, man, I love to win with the team. And uh, I, I think that's what fuels me. Well, I've got two more kind of marketing related questions for you. We've talked about a number of brands already, but I'm curious, you know, as most people that lead companies or marketers for that matter, the kind of students of what's going on around them. And are there any brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, I, I think the one cause that I'm very much active in, I'm a member on the board for the Maryland Food Bank. And I think to understand that marketing problem, I don't think there is anybody who wouldn't want to help someone who's food insecure or needs food or anything like that. But when I think about all the different causes that people are passionate about, you know, there's a lot of competition, quite frankly, for those dollars that people are donating through these great causes. And there are so many of them out there. And when I think of that marketing problem here in Maryland, where we've got one in nine Marylanders are food insecure and, you know, the food bank is, has, incredible experience and now we're celebrating our 40th anniversary and just getting getting that word out and the good work that gets done with all of our great partner network for the food bank. I think that's something that I'm certainly passionate about, but also it's a very large logistical operation is the food bank, you know, moving tons of food around the state of Maryland. But that, that marketing problem is one that, you know, I feel should be simpler to solve, but is one that we, you know, we work hard on every day. I would say that's the one brand that really jumps out or the one cause that really jumps out to me. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing to me in a not amazing way how a country like the U.S., who's got so much going for it, can have one in nine people in a state that it's food insecure. It's baffling. So I, I applaud your efforts to, to help contribute to solving that. So thank you. Last question for you. What do you feel like the future of marketing is going to bring? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I kind of think of it as a data-enriched barbell. One thing for sure is that whether it's through audio recording devices that we're searching with now or our TV remote, you know, there's so many pieces of data today that are being collected on behalf of brands from consumers. And I think that's only going to grow. More and more data is going to get ingested. And I think Ultimately, I see it turning into this barbell where what we think of today as mass market advertising, GRPs aren't going it away anytime soon. But I think brands are getting very smart about how to better target and address their ads. Even my, my old company who got acquired by AT&T and is now called Xander, they're very focused on addressable TV where it's not just a mass market ad, but every consumer sees a different television commercial based on their viewing habits or what other other data might be available. So I think you're going to see a data-enriched front end of mass market advertising. And on the other side, I really do think it'll flip a lot more towards data-enriched commerce. You know, if you think about where the internet is heading and what how digital advertising has changed over the years from the desktop to the mobile, it's really becoming very commerce-focused. The impact of a of a banner ad on a computer is much, much, much lower than it was five years ago. And so what I think I see happening is marketing platforms, certainly creating data lakes or, or great insights for brands, and then those being used to both mass market in a very data-enriched way, but then really funneling a lot more towards commerce. Because one thing I know for sure, well, 
uh, my COO tells me this every day. I don't know what we'll wake up to five years from now and where we'll be buying products from. Today, it's 62% Amazon, but there's probably two or three marketplaces that'll launch between now and five years from now where we'll get good market share and we're going to need data and enriched advertising and consumer acquisition to fuel that. But someone's always going to have to move the product from the factory to the front door. And so I think as marketing moves more towards commerce on one end and one towards mass marketing on the other end, I think it's going to shape up for a really interesting marketing challenge for brands in the future. Love it. Love it. Well, Marcus, thank you for coming on the show. Alan, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.